It's good to see you this morning. I'm Ed Stetzer, and uh, glad to be able to open God's Word. If you have a Bible, take it out and turn with me to Matthew 6. Now, I always say that because I do always encourage you to take out your Bible and follow along. If you didn't bring one, maybe you can turn one on if you have an electronic device with you. But let me encourage you to take it out because we're not going to put it all on the screen today. It's a rather lengthy passage, and I want us to kind of hit some of the highlights of it. It's actually a pretty famous passage as well. This passage is famous because uh, it's widely quoted, right? So, uh, the lilies of the field, we hear these types of references even in our culture today, but they come here specifically from a passage in the Word of God. It's in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. It's just been read to you. Daniel just read it to you. But the, uh, the theme here is about not worrying or not being anxious. Now, again, I believe faith is the opposite of worry. Because worry is, in a sense, practical atheism. Worry is practical atheism, and, and, and I think Jesus calls us instead to Him, right? So today we're going to look at the futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. The futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. Hopefully you have your Bible open or on at this point, and if you're worshiping with us online, you can follow along there as well. I want you to look with me. We just heard it read, but I want us to look at verse 30 in the text. I'm just going to read it. It's not on the screen, but here's what it says in verse 30 in the text. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He, be not, will he not much more clothe you O ye, O you of little faith. I want to say, O ye of little faith, because that's a phrase that's kind of entered our modern terminology, right? Well, this is part of where that comes from. It's O you of little faith. Now, I get worry. Now, I don't call it worry. I call it stress, because I'm a man, and I can't admit to being worried about things. I'm just stressed out about things. But that's ultimately just the man version of worry. We all have some of this in our lives, right? So why do we have this in our lives? Well, in my case, I have this because I have three daughters, and that gives me plenty of opportunity to worry. Uh, two of them are driving now. I worry even more. You should worry, actually, that two of my two daughters are driving right now. We recently, I was with Jacqueline, my middle child, and she drove on the interstate the first time. There was a lot of fear and yelling and crying, but once I stopped all that, she was just fine. <laughs> so I get worry. I might call it stress, but uh, stress, again, is, or worry, we're going to see here the futility of it, but the reason we see how futile it is because of the faithfulness of God. So the futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. So worry is the theme here. It's actually used six times in this section, and uh, we're not going to get to the whole section today. We'll continue uh, next week as we kind of walk through that section. So we'll finish this passage next week. Let me also mention, too, that next week after the service, we're going to have kind of a dialogue time. Uh, ask the interim if you want to come by and, and uh, visit a little bit, ask any questions, and uh, don't do stump the interim, but just kind of a Q&A kind of thing last, uh, next week. So just keep that in mind after the church for service for next week. But again here, worry is the theme, and let me read for you. I'm just going to read it out loud, right? We're not going to see it on the screen. You can read it along with me. It says this, right? We've already heard it read once, but I want you to hear it again. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap or store in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Actually, ironically, you can actually take a lot of hours off of your life by being driven by worry and by stress. But a few things there. First, Jesus focuses first uh, about 
food. He says, don't worry what you will eat or drink. So that's the beginning, right? These are pretty essential things. Now, does this mean that, that Christians will never go hungry? There are not places and times in the world where Christians have lost everything, including their food for the day? Actually, it doesn't mean that. But it's a reminder that in the midst of this, worrying of this, the worry of futility, futility of worry, rather than trusting the faithfulness of God, makes the difference, right? You can't add anything to your life by worrying, right? You can't. Uh, and, I, and I believe that the heart of worry is the lack of faith. The heart of worry is the lack of faith. Then it goes in from here, and it says, uh, is, don't worry about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. It says, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or store away in barns, but your heavenly Father feeds them. Now again, so Jesus then goes right to birds and say, look at the birds. Now again, some of you might say, listen, I've seen birds go through some hard times too. Okay, we all have. But the reality is, Jesus is using these examples to illustrate that, look, I mean, if birds matter, think how much more you matter. So what ultimately Jesus is pointing us to is instead of the futility of worry, he's pointing us to the faithfulness of God, which undergirds this entire passage. We're going to see this throughout the entire passage. So he talks about the birds, and your father feeds them. Can any of you add anything to, well, all that you uh, have through worry? Now, now, why does that matter? Well, we're going to even look at flowers in just a minute, but, but there's a recurring theme here, and I want you to see the recurring theme. Now, if God is truly God, it's futile for us to worry, to fret, and to be stressed out. He cares about things like the birds of the air, thus he will call a, care about us. However, throughout the Bible, we're told not to worry a lot. Why? Because there's a natural human inclination to be driven by worry. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. It says this. It says specifically, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, this is not the one I'm looking for. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Uh, keep going. There we go. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I want you to see the pattern here, right? Don't be anxious, the peace of God. Don't worry about, any, about, about things, but in everything, the peace of God. So that kind of points us to number one on our outline. There's only two points in this message. If you're taking notes, jot down number one, the futility of worry. The futility of worry. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and look at the futility here. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, why not? Because we're going to pray about it. Well, why are we going to pray about it? Because God is here, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to miss this, because worry literally defines every religion in the world except the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And any, any variant or, or heresy or misunderstanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ is in some way, some way tied to worry. Let me explain. Because you spend your life wondering, will the gods be happy with me? 
Will the universe turn on me? Will, 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 if I do enough, will, will, will the divine being not be mad at me? And so you consistently have to worry. Matter of fact, I grew up and I grew up in attend, attend, attending church Christmas and Easter, not a lot. I grew up outside of New York City, but here's what I knew from going to church there. That if I, if I was good enough at the end of my life and my, my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, then, then ultimately I'd get to go to heaven or my trip through purgatory will be shorter. And here's the thing. So I had to worry, am I doing enough? Do I need to make a chart, a list? How do I figure it out? Here's the deal. That's not the gospel. See, the gospel is not you do. The gospel is Jesus did. And because of what Jesus has done, he died on the cross for your sin and in your place. Now it's not, listen, I got to obey so God will accept me. It's not, I'm ex- it's, not, it's not I obey so I'm accepted. It's I'm accepted, therefore I obey as Tim Keller often has written. So why does this change? Because anxiety defines false religion. Here's the truth, right? We're all in some level in our hearts, we have worriers, we're worriers, and and worry, it's kind of ironic, worry is kind of prayer in reverse. You know, prayer is when you bring something before God, you give it to God. Worry is when you take something from God. So, you know, so prayer is, God, take this, take this, you know, and, and you, you, I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. Worry is, Lord, you're not big enough to handle this, but I got this. So worry is prayer in reverse. It's living as if there is no God. We, we in a sense, are denying that God is a loving Father. Because as we go through the Gospel of Matthew, right, we're not far away from chapter 7, but let's jump ahead for just a second. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7, says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Right? So this is the promise. God's saying, as Jesus is teaching about His Father, just go to God. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if asked for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who's in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask Him? See, we live sometimes in worry as if we don't have a Father who cares for us and provides for us. And in a sense, it's practical atheism. Practical atheism is living as if it depends upon us and worrying as if it depends upon us. So faith is the opposite of worry because worry is practical atheism, right? Worry is practical atheism when Jesus calls us to faith in Him. And today we're going to look at, again, the the futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. See, those two things are tied together. Now, don't misunderstand. Uh, Faith and absence of worry is not driven by a complete absence of problems. I want you not to miss this, right? You're still going to have problems. Somebody say, don't put that on me. Listen, I didn't put that on you. Jesus says these things. The Bible teaches these things, right? In this day, you will have trouble. When it rains, Jesus says, it rains on the just and the unjust. But in the midst of that, you can overcome worry and move from the futility of worry to the faithfulness of God. Because faith is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Jesus. I mean, let's not miss that. Faith is not the absence of problems, it's the presence of Jesus, which leads us from the futility of worry to number two in our outline, the faithfulness of God. The futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. Remember that faith is the opposite of worry because 
Worry is practical atheism. Worry is living your life believing that ultimately it's about you. Actually, what's ironic is, what's the strangest thing about worry? Is it generally accomplishes nothing. I mean, if, if you were worried and took action, maybe, but for most of us who are worriers, we just worry and all we do is bring grief upon ourselves. Now again, why would we want to do such thing? I don't know. Why would we want to do such thing when we have a God who loves us and says He's at work in our lives and at work in our world? But I, I, I'd, I'd rather be a worrier. Worry's practical atheism, where Jesus calls us to faith in Him instead. So we're going to look at the futility of worry and the faithfulness of God. Now again, it's not on your screen, but hopefully you have your Bible open. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus tells us more. Now, remember, we're in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount for months. We've been walking through the greatest teaching by the greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus teaching his disciples in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And here he gets amazingly practical, and 2,000 years later, most of us in this room need deeply this teaching on worry. So, Jesus says, Matthew records, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. By the way, let me just say, let me just say this. Here's a way not to be anxious about clothing. Wear the same thing every single day. <laughs> just, that's just a tip for you, just a suggestion, no reason for that. I just wanted to give that to you. So get yourself a black blazer, black shirt, jeans, get black jeans on Sunday so that people don't know you're wearing jeans, and then wear it every single day. <laughs> I've heard, someone told me that. Um, why are you, are you anxious about clothing, Jesus says. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. So Jesus points to flowers, right, and says, look, you worried about what you're going to wear? Look at flowers. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon is all his glory. Now, by the way, Solomon had a lot of glory. Solomon would be one of the richest people who lived in all of history, one of the richest people today. It says, but even Solomon is all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Now, some of you are hearing the thrown into the oven thing, and that kind of makes you a little nervous. It's not, this is literally what the kind of the flowers were, the lilies of the field, is that when they would die, they would be gathered up, and there was a, there was a type of oven that they would actually, uh, to cook. I mean, they literally put it in, and it would be fuel for the fire. That's not a statement of anything other than that's what dead grass is for, right? So, so, so I don't want you to miss this because what's going on here is Jesus saying, look at how beautiful the lilies of the field are, and why therefore are you so worried about what you will wear? It says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? We're going to end with that key. But the closes don't worry, right? I was, at a, I was at a wedding yesterday. I spoke in the morning at a wonderful OMS. Used to be Overseas Missionary Service, now One Mission Society. And we celebrate. We sent out a group of missionaries. And I, uh, it was really powerful. And I, I had the privilege of giving the charge to this group of missionaries in Indianapolis. This, I love missions. I love missionaries. And I'm looking across the stage of these people. And you know, this one's going to a restricted access country, and parents are out there. There's this young, younger, younger adult, and I know that she's going to be in harm's way, right? If she's caught or captured, 
she's going to be in harm's way. And I think to myself, kind of looking out at the parents, knowing what would that be like for us? Well, you can only walk into that moment with a deep and abiding trust in the Lord. Consider the lilies of the field. But specifically, it's interesting too, because um, I went to this wedding, and later, you know, these two, two, two young people deeply loved the Lord, deeply committed to the Lord. And, uh, and I noticed how people dress, you know, you go to the missionary thing, people are dressed like missionaries. You know, they wear, they wear missionary clothes, and they do, you know, like, I don't even know, hats with mosquito nets, and they eat bugs. Well, they didn't have any of that. But um, then I went to the wedding. Let me show you a picture of the wedding, because there's nothing you enjoy more than pictures of a wedding you didn't attend. Let me show you a picture here. Do we have the first one? There we go. So this is the wedding here. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and so, so we're kind of out here. Now, it's, um, it's an outdoor wedding, right? It was 98 degrees at the time of this outdoor wedding, right? So I'm back here um, sweating immensely. Um, and, 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 what's, and, and kind of for me, you know, they, they cared about their clothes and they looked great. I mean, the makeup was all gone in about five minutes. It's just running down. And I'm talking the dudes right there. I mean, they're just all running down there because, and, uh, but the wedding was actually for my pastor's daughter. So you take a look, this is, uh, this is Ron and, and he did the wedding, which I will tell you, um, I would not do because I would cry like a little girl at a wedding. I mean, I cry at weddings that I'm not doing, and this is him doing his daughter's wedding, and, and it's, it's 98 degrees outside in the sun, so I couldn't tell where the cries began and the sweat ended. It was just water over and over again. But these people, man, they cared, and they all looked awesome. But I got to tell you, even then, this wedding was so hot, this guy sitting in front of me, it didn't, it didn't go so well for him. I didn't know. So what does Jesus say? <laughs> Are you anxious about your clothing? Here's the deal. A bunch of people could be anxious about their clothing yesterday, and they did. They looked great. I, I did too. I went with something totally different, black shirt, blazer, and jeans. Um, but I'll tell you, black shirt, 98-degree sunshine was a dumb decision. But you know, what we find is, is that there is a consistent desire. We, we got to take that off the screen. I can't see that anymore. There is a… Uh, we worry about our clothes, right? And so, you know, but here's, here's the deal. Um, Jesus uses this example. Now, now, mind you, is this all that Jesus is talking about? No. He uses the example of food and clothing. But there could have been a thousand other things. The, the point, I want you not to miss this, the point is not food and clothing. The point is the things that distract you from your faith in God because worry is practical atheism. See, I don't want you to miss this, right? So the lilies of the field are just beautiful. The lilies of the field aren't worried about selfies, right? They are just beautiful, right? But, but here's the thing that we're got to see, and, and in a sense, I wanted to kind of jump ahead because this is where this is going. Remember, we're not far from Matthew 6.33, which says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what we'll address next time. But here's what the thing is. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about things have faith in me, because faithfulness is embodied in a person. So faithfulness is not some general concept that, oh, things are going to work out. The universe is going to balance. Karma is going to make it all okay. No, 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 no. Actually, in the Old Testament, 
In 1 Samuel chapter 5, there's word given. It says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. So faithfulness is embodied in a person, Jesus. And when you know Jesus, and when you know he's at work in your life, and when you know he's giving you new life, and you know your life is in his hands, you don't have to worry about your food, you don't have to worry about your clothes, you don't have to worry about your kids, you don't have to worry about your future. doesn't mean you're careless or don't care about these things, but you know who holds the future. And that's Jesus. Don and I were driving back from the wedding. Um, sweaty, and we talked about we talked about faithfulness of God. I don't know how we got into the conversation, but she told me she had seen our mutual friend Lon Allison. Some of you know the name Lon Allison. He was my predecessor at the Billy Graham Center in a sense. We named him the honorary director of the Billy Graham Center now. And some of you know he has terminal cancer, and. And he looks great. Just hike the Grand Canyon. You know, that's what, that's what I'm going to do when I have terminal cancer. I'm going to go hike the Grand Canyon. But you know why? Donald said, because he's been preaching at Wheaton Bible Church, Donald says he just has more joy than I've ever seen in him. I interviewed him not long ago at Christianity Today. Here's what he said. He said, I clung to two truths to sustain me, he said. First is in the sovereignty of God. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. The second great truth is his love for me and my family. And I pray, he quotes here Ephesians, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that his love surpasses knowledge. So in the midst of having terminal cancer, he goes on to say the sovereignty of God means he has authority over this situation. He has allowed the cancer to strike me. He can cure it in a nanosecond or allow it to grow within me. He's in charge, and I deeply desired that he be glorified through it. And then he goes on to say, the love of God reminds me of his goodness, lavished upon me and mine with his love. He is not a tyrant God, nor an absent God. His love is always present and always extravagant. Those twin doctrines sustain me. Marie and I feel we are living in a bubble of grace. The news about my body is not good, but our hearts and spirits are buoyant. So you don't want you to miss that. If if there's ever a time to worry, when you get terminal cancer, that's the time to worry. Unless you know who holds the future and who holds you in the midst of his presence. I think that was on our mind because we had just had the Amplify Conference. That's the annual conference that I host at the Billy Graham Center. And Luis Palau, what he said kind of, I think, rocked the whole room. Uh, Luis Palau is a very well-known evangelist. People have called him the Billy Graham of Latin America. It's probably, um, probably second only Billy Graham is the best-known evangelist in the world. And um, he was supposed to speak at our conference. He's supposed to open our conference. He's a dear friend of mine. And he couldn't come because he is sick. And so he showed on the video. Now, I've known this for a few months, but it's not, most people don't. And it's not, not secret, but it's not been widely announced. So he sent a video instead, a video for us. He literally recorded it a couple days before. It said, hello, Amplify Conference. And, and he looked great, and he was full of energy. And he said, listen, I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer, and it's untreatable. And it kind of, you know, most people in the room didn't know that, and you heard the kind of the gasps a little bit that we just heard here. And, and I was thinking through that, he just seemed so filled with joy. 
He, so, he seems so, he just wants to say, listen, tell as many people, here's a guy who's actually seen a million recorded decisions for Christ in and through his ministry. And so he goes through, and I, I think it was a 16-minute video, and at the end, and everyone's at the edge of the seat. At the end of his, at the end of his talk, with joy, with, I mean, if you know Luis, you just know, he just, he just, he's already got that, but it's just filled with it. He says, so goodbye, and I will see you in heaven. And the video ended. You see, I want you not to miss this. You say, Ed, these are rather extreme examples. Listen, if you can find joy in the midst of the extreme examples of terminal cancer, then, then, then you can find joy when you're not so sure you've got enough money in your bank account. You can find joy and trust in Jesus when you're kind of struggling with your kids' decisions. You can find joy when you're not sure about your own job because you can find joy because Jesus has this. In Hebrews 10.23, it says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Read those five words with me out loud. You ready? For he who promised is faithful. Two, three, four, five, six. Six words. I was told there'd be no math. You see, Jesus delivers his faithfulness to us when we believe in his finished work. Because you are now part of Jesus. He is part of you. you say, well, well Ed, I, I can't do this. Well, don't, don't, here's the great news, right? 2 Timothy 2.13 puts it this way. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. See, I want you to have confidence in providence. Let, let me explain. Providence is the idea that God's in charge. God's got a plan. God's plan will be lived out. You want to overcome worry? Get confidence in providence. Doesn't mean, here's the thing, I, I, I get, and I get it's on television, I, you can turn it right now on television, and you'll see people who will tell you that if you just follow Jesus and you send them money, that you will have no problems in your life. You won't be sick, you won't be poor, you won't have struggle. There's a theological term for what they're selling, baloney. That's a technical theological term. <laughs> but what I can say to you is that when you have confidence in providence, that you can then look to Colossians 3.15. Look at Colossians 3.15. It says, and the peace, right here we go again, next, next slide. It says, and the peace of God is going to guard who we are, right? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I don't, don't miss this, right? So... I mean, I give you two very extreme examples, Lon Ellison and Luis Palau. But for some of you, you don't need extreme examples. You just need hope right now because you're scared to death of the choices your kids are making in their future. And I, and I get it. Parenting's been the hardest thing I've ever done. Those kids don't do everything I say, and nobody told me that would happen. <laughs> should be a manual they come with. So here i got to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Prayer is worry in reverse, isn't it? Think about it. It takes your eyes on Jesus. You know what worry does? Worry gets you this laser focus on something you can't control. Prayer takes your eyes off the laser focus on someone, something you can't control and puts it on Jesus who controls all things. Now, you got to give it to Jesus. That's, what, that's the opposite of words, give it to Jesus. Now, I know that's Christianese. Now, if you're 
here for the first time, and that sound, how do you give something to Jesus? I'm going to explain. But Christianese is kind of a weird thing, and I get it, right? So we, some, you'll come in and someone will say to you, man, how's your walk? And you're like, seemed okay to me. I mean, I took one step in front of the other, and it's, it's not what we mean. That's a Christianese thing. How's your quiet time? That's, you're thinking, am I in trouble? Am I, is it a timeout? No, that's, that's, that's a thing of prayer. And then maybe we ask, have you been washed in the blood? And you're like, I hope not. But that's the thing, too, we want you to be. But this is one Christianese that I think was worth just taking a moment to explain. You got to give it to Jesus, which means you turn it over from your own inordinate focus, which has led to at times overwhelming worry, and you turn it over and you have confidence in providence that God has a plan. Now, let me say, too, for some of you talking about worry and anxiety, you hear this and you say, I've tried this and I find myself trapped for long periods of time in uncontrollable anxiety. I want you to know, too, that we believe that part of what God does is gives us the opportunity to walk through sometimes challenging times, and sometimes there are mental health issues that are in and around these things. So when I talk about taking your eyes off your worry and putting your eyes on Jesus, and you're trying and seeking to do that, and there's always a spiritual struggle that's there, but a spiritual struggle is different than a mental illness, and the reality is we care about that if it's become overwhelming in your life. And our staff are here to help to connect you and make referrals to deal even with that as well. And we actually have a ministry, too, in and around issues of mental health that'll be, again, relaunching in September. So what's the answer? Well, for me, I got to tell you, the reason I worry is it's a faith issue, right? It's a faith issue is that I take my eyes, maybe you don't, you're more godly than me, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I put them on the circumstances. And I'm asking you to give it to Jesus. You know why? Because he'll take care of it. I'm jumping ahead, but it's coming. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be taken care of. See, it's a terrible heresy to believe that you won't have troubles if you believe in Jesus. And I get that it's on television all the time. You can't always stop troubles. Now, there's some things you can do to stop the troubles, right? But you can't always stop troubles, but what you can do is stop worry. And I got to tell you, that's the kind of life you want to live, is a life that is less worry and more Jesus. Okay, it doesn't mean they'll be di- not be difficult. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. It says this. It says, in this you rejoice, right? You rejoice. Why? For, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that, that, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't miss this. You'll take your eyes off your problems and put them on the person who's the answer to your problems. Look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. You know what's interesting too? We tend to see this historically, but not for the future. I mean, most of us can look, think right back now, and you can say, you know, man, I, oh, man, I, I can see how God brought me through this and this and this. As a matter of fact, for most of us, we'll be able to look back in our Christian lives and say, every time I worried, God brought it through. I should have had confidence in providence, but I didn't. And you're look back over your life and say, man, why didn't I then? Why didn't I then? Why didn't I then? I should have, I should have, I should have. But the next thing, I got to worry about that. And faith is the opposite of worry because it's practical atheism. It's living as if God did not exist and he was not in control. 
So what we're trying to look at today is, do you believe in a God that lacks control of the future? Sometimes we act like it. That's that practical atheism. Do you believe in a God that doesn't care about the future? Do you believe in a God who doesn't have a plan? He's kind of waking up each day saying, what next, what now? Do you believe in a God who doesn't care for you? Because if those are true, you've got lots of reason to worry. So that's why the false gods of the world, man, if you're, if you're following a false god of the world, you've got lots of reasons to worry. But the reality is it's almost ironic that we trust God looking in the past saying, look at all that God has done, but we're fearful looking at the future. So the question for us today, is God a God of your past or can you trust Him for your future? Can you have confidence in providence? See, because here's the reality, right? So I, I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the twists and turns, and it goes through hard times. But I've read the end of this book, and I look really closely. Here's, I mean, here's the summary, the last verse. Jesus wins. So I can trust him because I'm journeying with him. See, some of you are worried right now. And there's nothing that worrying will do to fix anything. The only thing worrying, well, it won't fix anything. It'll break you. It'll break you physically. It'll break you emotionally. And it'll break you spiritually. See, worry is practical atheism. It's living as if God did not exist and have a plan. Jesus calls us to faith in Him. And we're going to today put aside the futility of worry and focus on the faithfulness of God. There's nothing that worrying will do will fix anything. It's just a dumb waste. I became a Christian um, when they were playing a song. It's, it's, uh, I don't know that it's my favorite song. My favorite song kind of changes a lot, but whenever people play it, it's an old song. It's like a song from the 70s, um, at least when I heard it. And so it goes, um, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Do you hear the words of that? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Do you know that song? Anybody know that song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It says, look full in his wonderful face. And the things, listen to this, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I mean, there's your whole sermon on worry right there. And that's the song during which I called out on Jesus, responded to His grace in my life, and was changed by the power of the gospel. I did not know that it would be the story of my life and every Christian's life throughout their journey where every day they need to turn their eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face so that the things of earth would grow strangely dim. All worry does is take your eyes off Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Him. The last verse, Matthew 6, 30, in our passage we're looking at today says, but if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I don't want to be in the category of you of little faith. I want to have confidence in providence that God has a plan and that I can turn my eyes upon Him. You see, the same love that set the captives free, the same love that opened eyes to see is calling us by name. And when He calls us by name, when we know that He loves us, we can give it to Jesus. He's calling us by name. Pray with me. Father, we acknowledge today that in the beauty of this moment that you indeed, you've got this. 
Father, I imagine there's some people here today right now that are kind of caught up in worry. Lord, I'm sometimes caught up in worry. Just, if, you're, if that's your situation right now, and I know that this is not an easy thing, but my guess is there are a lot of people who are just worried about something. People got their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Can you just say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. Just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I'm just caught up in some real worry about stuff. All kinds of people. This is, this is a universal condition in many ways. All right, you put those hands down. Father, I pray that right now, people all across this room worshiping with us online, that we could give it to Jesus. Just if you raise your hand, maybe you didn't, but it's still true. Can you just say to the Lord, Lord, I have confidence in your providence. I trust you. I take my eyes off of the thing about which I'm worried, and I put my eyes upon Jesus. I turn my eyes upon Jesus, and I look full and deeply dwell in his grace and his provision. Because that same love that set the captives free, open eyes to see, is calling us by name. You're calling us by name. You indeed, Lord. You give us the strength to move away from worry and into faith, from the futility of worry to ultimately step into the faithfulness of God. Father, even now, we respond to your goodness. Just in the same spirit of prayer you're in right now, we just stand to your feet all across this room. Father, we stand before you and we sing of your love and your grace and we turn our eyes indeed upon you.